Here we go. It's the DC Sports Tunnel. I'm Dave Johnson. We are sponsored, of course, by MGM National Harbor. Time to change the game at Bet MGM Sports, along with Rob Woodfork, uh, Dave Preston, and George Wallace. And yes, this week we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Washington football team's last Super Bowl victory. At the time, it was their third win in 10 years in the Super Bowl. It was January 26, 1992. The 91 season turned out to be simply a magical year, producing one of the best teams of all time, a 14-2 and record. And let me tell you, just I'll start with, we didn't think that was going to happen in the summer in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, when the quarterback, who turned out to be the MVP, had a 23-day holdout for a new contract, didn't see it coming to this degree where they just steamrolled through the entire NFL and ended up winning it all. We'll start with you, George Wallace. Your thoughts on that team, where it uh, – stands in terms of uh, history, uh, in terms of emotion with you, the Washington football team, our last Super Bowl champion in 1992. Yeah, you know, it's uh, just just some of the numbers that you look at what that team was able to do. Shut out opponents, three, first three games at home were shutouts. Ripon was sacked only seven times all year, led the league in scoring, second in defense. I mean, just, just the in and out game after game to start out 11-0, you know, then you get behind. At the Giants on that Sunday night, they lost six straight to the Giants behind 13-0. Gary Clark drops two touchdown passes, would have been touchdowns. They come back to win. The Oilers at RFK in Howfield misses a field goal that would chip shot that would have ended the perfect season, and they end up winning in overtime. I mean, those – and just to hear the stories from the players that year about how they wanted to win for Joe Gibbs. You wanted to win for your teammates. They were such a – it was a veteran group. They were a tight-knit group. And they all kind of got the feeling that this was going to be maybe their last chance at it, last go round at it. And boy, oh, were they right? Uh, you know, but <laughs> they wanted to get it done, and they did just that. I mean, you know, it starts from the uh, Steve Buckhantz telling Joe Gibbs that Playboy picked him to win the Super Bowl, and Gibbs goes nuts. You know, to 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 uh, Jack Ken Cook calling him a bloody idiot, telling Gibbs he's messed up the team royally, to ripping the year before, choking that game away in San Francisco in the divisional playoff, and then holding out. I mean, we thought the nerve of this guy to hold out after a performance like that. I mean, every button that they pushed all year long was uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I was in ninth grade. If you want to talk personal, I was in ninth grade. I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I worked at RFK, at Section 538 concession stand. My dad was running concession stand week in and week out, especially that year was just, just a lot of fun, especially as a diehard fan at that time, to be able to be – at every home game and witness it like that. I mean, now you talk about, I mean, so many people wanted to be my friend that year at school. They wanted to be, you know, get a job and work there, but uh, you know, to the, to the playoff run with the seat cushion game and then the championship game, just a magical run. I mean, you know, it's, it's just one of those things you're going to look back on. You never thought that that would be the end because you're living it at the time. And then one of the, the cuts that, that David pulled for of Joe Gibbs for this morning on TOP, when he said, you know, we all wanted to give it one last shot because you never know if, if this is going to be the last time. And, you know, we had a feeling this could be this could be the last time. I mean, boy, he knew something we all didn't know, maybe. But uh, that was it. But, yeah, no, it was a it was a great magical run being around here. And, you know, as you guys all know, I mean, everything and Dave, you know, been around here as longer. Uh, everything shut down during that time. Sundays I mean, Mondays were miserable when this team lost. And it was yep. everything that year kind of culminated with that day 30 years ago today. And it was just, uh, it was just a lot of fun. Well, as I'm about to celebrate my 95th birthday, I was uh, on the air. Back <laughs> I didn't in, say you were that in, old. 1992. Uh. 
WTOP, but the, just to put in context, the bloody idiot uh, story, if yeah. you will, Jack Ken Cook, <laughs> as I covered training camp at the time in Carlisle, uh, Dickinson College, the uh, uh, highlight was always of training camp, uh, Mr. Cook, as Joe Gibbs always referred to him, Mr. Cook's visit uh, to training camp. And during this time, Mark Rippon was holding out for a new contract. And Jack Ken Cook uh, said he'd be a bloody idiot if he doesn't report to camp soon. And he ended a 23-day uh, training camp. But it was – I can't do a Jack Kent Cook impersonation. The Steve Buckhead story, now I forget whether it was that from that preseason. It was after a preseason loss. Yeah, that's Steve Buckhead, our good friend at the, the time, was anchoring with Fox 5. Uh, asked Joe Gibbs, and uh, well, you know, some people are predicting you to, to be pretty good this season. And Gibbs was not happy with the loss, and he was like, Who? Like, who? And and Buckhead goes, Well, Playboy magazine, and <laughs> Joe Gibbs, Playboy magazine, and the reaction uh, was, was, was just priceless. But yeah, we yeah. had Bloody Idiots, Playboy magazine, and an eventual Super Bowl team. So it and was then- and then Cook, Mr. C- Mr. Cook, told Gibbs that he had royally screwed up this team, and he says you don't have the right players. That guy Jimmy Johnson in Dallas has all the right players, and right. Gibbs just went absolutely crazy at that point. And and it was just you know uh, to think about hearing those kind of stories from the preseason, and then to see what what transpired over the next three months, kind of crazy. Hey, Preston. Hey, well, I was not living in the area at this time. I was a senior in college, and two of my best friends were big Bills fans, and they were very obnoxious, win, lose, tie, or in the offseason. And I remember going and, – and that Bills team had so much talent, too. Jim Kelly, Hall of Fame. Uh, Thurman Thomas in the Hall of Fame. I believe James Lofton, Andre Reid also in the Hall of Fame. Bruce Smith in the Hall of Fame. Of course, he set the sack record while in Washington, and we do have <laughs> <a> memory. <laughs> but – I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, the Bills are going to win. They learned their lesson from last year, losing the Giants on a last-second field goal. I, and I've, the only thing I was I was okay with was, okay, I'm a second-semester senior. I only have a couple months to deal with their complete obnoxiousness. Sat down, watched the game, and I was amazed at how well-prepared Washington was on both sides of the ball. I was you. We talk early and often this season about – the whole being better than the sum of its parts, the defense with Chase Young, how things never really kind of worked. And some years offensively, Kirk Cousins uh, was put up great stats, but somehow they were empty calories. You didn't feel that with that Washington team. My roommate that year was a big Redskins fan, big Orioles fan. He was good. He was coming off the vibe of Cal Ripken winning the MVP and Camden Yards was an awesome place to watch baseball. And the O's were on the up and up and Washington was going to dominate. They wound up getting the Heisman Trophy winner that year. And just, just to see how well run an organization could be growing up an hour north of Boston when the Patriots were the league's number one joke at the time uh, on and off the field with Victor Kayyem running the team into the ground this was years before parcells showed up and they were going to move to st louis or hartford or somewhere else and when you live there you couldn't even get the games on tv because they never sold out and hearing stories about how rfk the seats you know bounced and i actually went to i i, I saw a game where the seats did bounce and i it's, it's something you couldn't believe until you actually saw and see it, it and then moving to the area 10 years later and hearing about the days Truly Camelot, the, the stuff of legends with Arthur and Lancelot and Gibbs and three quarterbacks, three different quarterbacks, three different ball carriers, the offensive line, the hogs, the feel of 
this area for that team when this was the only team in town, really, when you think about it. And uh, amazing how that's 30 years ago. And uh, let you know that uh, with the Nats, with the Caps these days, with Maryland uh, men's and women's basketball nowadays, you really have to appreciate what you have because you don't know. Things can turn on a dime, and all of a sudden you can be 30 years in the wilderness. RFK State also is a home field that band. day, and they continue to lose. Yeah. RFK State also a home field band. It's not only because it, it rocked, but uh, I did a, a football game once with Jerry Glanville. Uh, it was a Falcons coach back in, in 1991, and, and he is still mad to this day about this. He tells a story about Joe Gibbs overwatering the field at RFK Stadium. And they eventually, of course, the, ran over the, the, the Atlanta Falcons in, in the playoffs. But the Falcons team was all built on speed. And Jerry Glanville's assertion was that Joe Gibbs made the RFK field too soggy for his Atlanta Falcons. Rob it was, pouring. Yeah, that's, it was pouring that day in the, in the day. It had nothing to do with yeah. Gibbs wearing the field. It was pouring in that game. Well, and furthermore, that, even that's if he Jerry did. Glanville's version. Right. And even if he did, that's gamesmanship. And people would yep. accuse you of cheating nowadays, as uh, uh, Dave Preston, the Patriots fan, can attest to. Um, hey. Oh. The thing, <laughs> the, the, here's the thing about the 91 team. And I've said this long before now, so this is not me you know, sort of just carrying on with the theme of the day. I think the 1991 team is one of the greatest of all time. And I think there is a case to be made that they are the greatest team in NFL history, because if you look at the competition, the NFC East was not the laughing stock that it is now. I mean, that was the giants were the defending Super Bowl champions and they swept them that year. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, this was the year before they started that uh, run of three Super Bowls in four years. The uh, Philadelphia Eagles had what was the best defense in the league at that time, or at least, you know, through that um, through that era. So you look at who they beat on the regular. You look at how they beat them. They won their games by an average of 16 points per game over the course of that season. And just like George mentioned, their first three home games were shutouts. They haven't pitched a shutout since then. It's the longest <laughs> shutout drought in the league. Uh, but, uh, you know, three shutouts in a year, I mean, four shutouts in a season is the record. And they were pretty close to that because they had one game in which they only gave up six points. I think there was another game where they only gave up single digit scoring. So, I mean, this was a dominant defense, uh, second uh, in scoring defense. They were the top scoring offense in the league. Their special teams had Brian Mitchell, who quite frankly should be in the pro football hall of fame, all three. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, I linked to this in uh, the piece on WTOP.com, remembering this uh, 30-year anniversary. And I wish I would have put it more prominently in there, but uh, footballoutsiders.com yeah. ranked this team the most well-rounded team in NFL history. So, you know, and that's spanning 645 teams that they studied over the course of time. This is the greatest team of all time, in my opinion, you look at the fact, and, and I think that they would rank higher on a national scale if they had more star power. And that's what ultimately was the problem, or at least what people uh, didn't pay attention to really outside of Washington was the fact that Joe Gibbs didn't have a bunch of star players. So I, I think if you take that out of the equation, the pomp and circumstance, this is really one of the best teams to, to ever do it. And I think they're the best. 
And I, I think, I think though, it should point out is this is really before free uh, before mm -hmm. the salary cap here and that sure. type of thing. And I think it's another reason why uh, we may not ever see another team uh, like the Washington football team of that 1991 season because Joe Gibbs uh, could get stars when he wanted Wilbur Marshall and wanted to pay more than any other team in the NFL at the time would pay for Wilbur Marshall. He could go to Mr. Cook and convince him uh, of that. And he could assemble his roster without the restrictions uh, of, of the salary cap. And that certainly was a benefit to, to Joe Gibbs and, and the Washington football team. And that, that team is a reminder that football is about the line of scrimmage. You look at what they did on the defensive side, but moreover, as George mentioned, Mark Rippon was able to operate without getting sacked because of the strength of the hogs and no disrespect to Mark Rippon, but he's not one of the greatest quarterbacks all of all time, but it didn't matter. He had the time to do what he needed to do. And he ended up as a Super Bowl MVP. Guys, I think there are two reasons why that team, as well as the other Washington championship teams in the Gibbs era kind of slipped through the cracks as far as when people say, Hey, the best teams of all time, one Joe Gibbs, great coach, but not a super promoter guy, not a big, not the, the big personality. Uh, I always felt that Bill Walsh, the late Bill Walsh, always wanted to tell you how smart he was as far as knowing the game. Uh, Bill Parcells was, you know, had, had, you know, had incredible, had moxie as well. Even Buddy Ryan, not as good a coach, a head coach as the other guys. He had a certain personality that you kind of hooked into that maybe you thought that the Eagles were better than they actually were even though they had a fantastic defense, as Rob mentioned, and one of the generational quarterbacks, Randall Cunningham at the time. I think another reason why people don't think of Washington as one of the greats, even though the 1991 edition was absolutely fantastic, not a lot of staying power. That, that was a team where you had, you know, Mark Rippon, that was his only championship as a starter. Uh, the 87 team had two starting quarterbacks, neither of which threw for 3,000 yards for Washington thereafter. When you look at the great teams over, the t over time, it's you think, okay, Bart Starr, multiple championships with Green Bay, Roger Staubach, multiple titles with Dallas, Bradshaw, uh, Montana, uh, Brady, obviously, Peyton Manning. You, you had guys who were, you know, who had great runs at their positions and, and championship runs over multiple years. What's, I think it's a testament to what a great coach Joe Gibbs was with this team and what a great front office Charlie Casterly and Bobby Beathard put together was that you had multiple pieces winning over a decade. And that I, I think, uh, you know, Jerry Krause, the late Jerry Krause called the Bulls an organizational triumph when, yeah, we knew there was kind of a Michael Jordan triumph with an organization that helped him out. But I think you look at those championships, 82, 87 and 91 as great organizational triumphs that, and when you, Again, fan bases, your victims of who happens to own your team. And Jack Kent Cook, for all of his squareness, for all of his marriages, for all of for, for hanging out at Duke Zebert's all the time, he was a great owner. And the guys he put in place were great as well. And I think when you look of will this Washington team, the commanders or the dipsy kickers or whatever they're going to call themselves, be sharps, will they ever be good again? It starts from the top and it starts with a great chain. And I think we've got a great example in what it takes to be a great organization in the 1991 Washington championship team. Yeah. And well, Jack and Cook just provided the just the most yep. important thing, the financial support. And he really did stay and the ascots when he, when he visited Carlisle, it was, it was more to, to play around with the reporters and, 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 and uh, have his, his presence. It was also all about who was in Jack and Cook's 
suite then. He wasn't trying to coach the football team from a suite. It was, you were, a, if you were a guest and you made the list and you got in Jack Ken Cook's suite, uh, that was a, that was a big deal at RFK stadium. But uh, again, the, the generational players at Art Monk and Daryl Green were, were on uh, were on this team. Uh, that offensive line is the Mount Rushmore right there of an offensive line that they anchored the success of that franchise for a decade, basically. There's a prime, uh, but there's only one that, of them in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Yeah, right. And that's that the Hall of Fame is on that line. No, and it's because they, I, I, well, there's no, I don't have an explanation for why that is because that, again, that is the Hogs. It was more than maybe it's because people thought it was just a, a nifty nickname and there wasn't substance behind it, but there was so much substance uh, behind it and, and what they allowed this Washington football team to achieve. But then again, you talk about uh, Charlie Castle. He's a, a part of the story and, and he's right here in our area. Brad Edwards is the athletic director yeah. at George Mason University. He was one of what they call the killer plan B free agents. Uh, they don't even have plan B free agency anymore, but he had two interceptions in that Super Bowl, and Daryl Green had won in that uh, in that Super Bowl. So uh, there's a George Mason connection to the success they had that day at, at, at the Metrodome. But uh, it, it was a well-assembled team uh, with an owner that said, whatever Joe Gibbs needs, he gets. And what they ended up all getting was a Super Bowl trophy. And you talk about, talk about the Plan B guys, you still you got the guys like Martin Mayhew, who's now – GM of this team. You get Kirk Avey on defense, Danny Copeland, all those guys, Gary Clark, all those guys that, and it's to Dave's point about the quarterbacks not being mainstays, but you had the, the, the core group, not only the hogs, but you had Gary Clark who won two Super Bowls. You know, some of those guys that were around for that good five, six, seven, eight year chunk. And then in 91, you go get the Mark Slurat, the Jim Lachey's uh, Matt Millen, who didn't even, he was inactive, played a big role during the season, but inactive for the playoffs. Didn't care. Like he's out there. Helping you wouldn't out. know from the video. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, but again, that goes to that, that goes to everybody doing their part. And it did not matter what they, what your role was on that team. You knew what it was and you were there as a member, as a part of the team. And uh, you know, nobody, they, they weren't, they weren't flashy. They weren't, you know, you see some of the videos during Super Bowl week and uh, these guys talk about how boring this Redskins team was. Well, we're just here. The bills are great. We're here to compete. We're happy to be here. Very monotone. And you got the bills out there talking about, you know, calling these guys names and this and that, but that was, you took after Joe, they were taken after their head coach at that point. Very, you know, very even stay medium as Jim Zorn once said, but <laughs> that's how they, you know, that's just kind of the way they were. There was not, they weren't flashy. They just come out and took care of business. So to your point, Rob, about why they're not, talked about a lot as 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 one of the greatest because they're not flashy they're not uh you know they weren't flashy. they just went out and took care of business well and maybe it's no coincidence but washington's also never had a super bowl winner since a head coach stopped doing a daily show on wtop <laughs> joe gibbs hey. did a daily show on wtop and and he would call it in uh it would be at the time we called it master control at wtop he would it would be joe gibbs to call it in and this is coach gibbs with a report and he would just talk. And, and it was a script that was written, I think, with the help of the, the, the public relations staff. But it was, it was and then he yeah. would just do it all in one take. And if you made mistakes, the, the engineer would edit it together. But it aired at 817, 117, and 517 wow. every day. Uh, and we got to dig through the archives for that. I would love to hear. Something. Yeah. So the, the Joe Gibbs oh. uh, report uh, every, and it was every day and it was, uh, uh, but so while Joe Gibbs was not a self-promoter, he was a great person at, at, uh, 
connecting with the fans. And part of it was doing this every day. Now he's compensated for it, obviously, but he did this this every day. And Coach Gibbs here, and, and you just felt like you were a part of the team because he was telling you about, you know, how they were arranging the meal table at training camp for, or whatever. And it was, it was, it was a priceless time. And uh, how know, fun you know. has it been as we've gone through all of this old footage to commemorate this 30th anniversary? How fun is it to hear Joe Gibbs and to see uh, guys like oh, Charles yeah. Mann and uh, yeah. Art Monk and Daryl Green, all these guys? I mean, we used to be so proud of this team. We used to be so you felt I mean, connected. You're connected to them. They, I know. They, they, yeah. yeah. Right, right. You know, you, it's just like yeah. it's it's like a part of. I mean, for me, my childhood. I was in sixth grade when uh, last they won the Super Bowl. So it's just for me. It's just like, oh, these are the voices and these are the names of my youth. And not only that uh, association. But it's just like you were so proud of them and, and, and people were jealous of you for being a fan of the team because they were so good. And it's just like it's something that we haven't felt here in so long. And I mean, like I said in the piece, if um, it, it's hard not to look back at this great championship run and not make it a referendum on where they are now. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to enjoy the, the memory of, uh, of that season. Uh, instead of sort of, uh, you know, juxtapositioning it against uh, what they are now. Real quick, and I'm going to jump, but that you hear a lot of the guys talk about how close they felt with the fans, even at home games, and they wanted to win because they knew some of these, you see this familiar faces, they knew how much it meant to this city when they won. These guys stuck around for a while. They felt a part of the city, you know. Now it's completely different, and that's fine. You talk about the old days, that's fine, but to hear those guys talk about that, that's why you feel so connected to them. And some of that. Let's do it for the kid in section 538. <laughs> hey, that's right. You want a hot dog, a beer, a sauerkraut, anything you want, come see me. <laughs> oh, it also no, takes that, me back. But to also, coffee. that was a product of the times, too. I mean, it, yeah. it was easier access, I think, uh, back then. I mean, there's more access now in terms of social media and being able to interact with people. But I mean, genuine, like in person interactions were more realistic, I think, back then uh, than they are now. Yeah, and it also takes me back to the time before cell phones were were prevalent because right. uh, in 91, by by January of 92, I was doing mornings at WTOP, but uh, back then we only had two sportscasters, half of this entire sports huddle, and, and the morning shift was 4 a.m. to 1 p.m., and the evening shift was 1 p.m. to 11 p.m., so it was kind of a, a lot of sports. So when I did the afternoons, you'd have to drive out to the park out there in Herndon at, at the time, uh, and, and it was must to be out there on Monday. And I can always remember the challenge of trying to get back in uh, to the station. And it, you couldn't just call in a report from your, your, your uh, cell, cell phone. You didn't have one. So you had to pull over. And I knew every hotel that I could pull into and unscrew a phone and put a voice act in and deliver my 645 sportscast because I didn't get it back to Idaho Avenue in time. But there we go. There's minutia that I just put the whole room asleep. But it was, it was, it was definitely a great time. All right, we've got let's uh, final four weekend here for the NFL. We're getting, we're getting closer. It, greatest wildest season ever, probably. Uh, it, it's it's bananas. All these games, uh, or at least this weekend. It, and what a yeah. <laughs> flip from the previous weekend where every game was was a blowout. Who are you liking as we come down the stretch here, Dave Preston? I'm liking uh, San Francisco for some reason. They they've got whatever uh, reason they've got the Rams number. 
And uh, I, I'm not confident in Jimmy Garoppolo, but they did the little things right against Green Bay. Proof that special teams. I mean, I, I say early and often on this uh, huddle that the NFL is an offensive league. It's a quarterback league. You got to have a great quarterback. Special teams was the difference this past weekend with kicks at the end of regulation. Packers gave away 10 points with a blocked punt and a missed uh, field goal. Uh, and then the, the squib by the Bills, uh, the non-squid by the Bills cost them. I've got Buffalo, or I've got Kansas City beating Cincinnati in the AFC, and then I've got San Francisco beating the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC. That is the super awesome NFL playoff cup. Rob Woodport? Um, I do not have a cup to write all this on, but... Uh, I can make yeah. one for you. <laughs> no, I'm good. Thanks. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs I picked before the season to go back to the Super Bowl, so I'm going to stick with the girl I took to the dance here. Um, the uh, I, I don't say that to dismiss the Cincinnati Bengals in any way. I think they've been really, really good this year, and their future is really bright. But, I mean, we saw Patrick Mahomes and what he did in the divisional round. I mean, there was nothing humanly possible that Josh Allen could have done more to win that football game. But for some reason, Mahomes just happened. So I, I, I have a hard time seeing them lose that game. And, uh, you know, for a lot of the reason that uh, uh, Dave just said, the 49ers over the Rams, that one I'm a little more torn on. The Rams feel like this kind of team of destiny right now. But also the 49ers have beaten them six in a row. And, uh, and we've seen throughout history where you face a division rival in the playoffs the team that swept in the regular season has gone on to complete the three game sweep 14 out of 22 times so far. So I'm kind of giving the edge to the 49ers, even though I'm not super confident in it. And that's a really boring Super Bowl rematch, but here we are. All right. Well, and it's funny you mentioned the 49ers because I'm just going to go with the 49ers over the Rams, even though so many factors should point to the Rams. Sometimes when, You've lost six straight to a team. It, it Now it's going to be your time. But the 49ers seem like that team that they've got that certain factor that says, all right, go ahead, bet against us, and we're going to win anyway. And, and so I'm confident in the 49ers taking that game against Rams, and it'll, it'll be the 49ers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because um, Joe Burrow can't get sacked nine times every game and win, and I'm not saying that's going to happen against the Chiefs. But Patrick Mahomes – what he's doing, just keep following him because he's making everyone and better. To, and just to make it full circle here, the uh, uh, Burrow got sacked more times in that playoff game than the Washington offensive line allowed the entire 1991 season. Yeah. Wrap your head around that. <laughs> Which, if you're paying close attention to the huddle, was seven times, as George Wallace said, pointed out. All right, uh, George, uh, final four pick for this weekend. All right, well, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm going to go... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going Patrick Mahomes. I mean, just uh, uh, what he was able to do last week. I mean, I think that they're at a new level right now, playing at another level. Bengals, great story, but I think it comes up short. And it is, I know you just touched on the 49ers. It's really tough to beat a team three times. I am going with uh, the Rams. Who would have thought Odell Beckham Jr. would be the big key late season signing for this team? Rams, Chiefs, Super Bowl. A lot, guys, has been made of the fact that Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan used to be assistants in Washington. And what? somebody pointed out in Matt Moore with Green Bay. So we said, we let these guys get away. It's like, 
or they could have coached here and have been ruined by incompetence and, uh, you know, jealousy and, and other front office shenanigans. So good and luck. Rob, good luck. Audible, the- Audible, Audible with the line of scrimmage real quick. I don't know if anybody caught the Wizards the other night. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty uh, uh, what happened to yeah. them. Yeah. And what's inexplicable is, uh, is still the same group of players that looked so great against the Philadelphia 76ers and at other times have looked so great. I, I think the bottom line for this team now to me, and this is not to say that people are not trying, but there's, there's a leadership void on the court. Because what should have happened in that game against the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, okay, every team's going to make a run, but somewhere uh, there wasn't that player that that moment to say, all right, guys, that's it. Let's cut it out and step on this team's neck and get them out of here. And instead, the Clippers kept coming back from a 35-point deficit and winning. And maybe that's a part of a collection of guys that really haven't played together, even though it's 40 some games and all right, who's, who's the lead dog. Who's going to, who's going to take charge here, but <laughs> it's long overdue. Uh, whether it's Bradley Beal, whoever it is, somebody has to, to take charge on the court and you feel like, all right, this guy is, is going to be our leader. And, and he is, he is definitely making it happen uh, on the court. I'm not talking about face of the franchise or who the most popular player is. No, uh, you need a, a Trevor a, Ariza. Like a guy like a Trevor Ariza or a, guy a Paul like a Pierce suits, Karan Butler, Karan Butler, a Paul Pierce yeah. or somebody you, you need that personality. That's how I, I, I have no problem with the Clippers cutting a lead from 35 to 15. That happens in NBA games. It just never obviously happens to the degree it happened because somewhere uh, there was not the player to put his foot down and really impose his will on not only the other team, but, the rest of his teammates and say, all right, guys, puff out our chest. This team is not as good as we are. And we're going to show them right now. And, and, that didn't and also happen. they were, they were making just really dumb mistakes down yeah. the stretch. I mean, fouling on that three pointer at the end, the five second violation. I mean, it was just, it, it was just sloppy and just unfocused. And it's, it's super disappointing because I mean, Davis said it a million times. I mean, Wes Unsell Jr. Is that dude. I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with him coaching well, and, and there may but, be a depth that, that you know maybe he needs to do a little uh different with the lineups so that you can take advantage of all this because just last week we were talking about how deep they are well yeah. you know it's about playing the right guys at the right time and you know maybe there could have been uh some adjustments on that end yeah no well and but the, you, you have those late game mistakes because you didn't put the fire out in the third quarter right because then by the fourth quarter because this is still going on now everybody's got deer in headlights especially yeah. the fans is, Any it, other that, is it is it concerning that at this point I'm just asking is it concerning at this point that Beal's not that guy at, that, at well, a game like that? Know, I, I don't want to put it all on Beal, but it's it's it, it, it's concerning that that they're they're it's concerning that yeah somebody needs to be that guy yeah on a consistent basis and yeah I guess it is concerning that that Beal because he's been the guy here on our street for the longest time and you and you expect him to kind of uh impose his will on his own team at a yeah, but also the but also the the leader of the team and the heart and soul of the team is not always the best player which is right. pretty disappointing no, yeah which is kind of disappointing because we always want to make uh you know sort of the face of the franchise or the you know best player that guy 
But, um, you know, I mean, I, I think he does need uh, because I think when John Wall was here, John Wall was that guy. So, I mean, they they need somebody who can sort of take that heat off of Beal and just let him go out and ball. Yep. Any other audibles at the line of scrimmage? I'm going to audible at the line of scrimmage, talk a little college basketball, Maryland getting off the Big Ten mat over the last couple of games, Georgetown staying on the Big East mat. Uh, it's it's, it's oh, they're a, under the mat. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's a tough season for the Hoyas. I think three of their next four games are against schools in the conference with losing records. They need to win two or three of those games because their schedule is backloaded. They play Villanova uh, again. They play Marquette again, who ran rough shot over them. Uh, Providence uh, again as well. So it, it could, the, the season's already bad for Georgetown. They've never started 0-6 in the history of the Big East. And this is a franchise that was a flagship or a flagship school of this conference since its inception. It, it's a historically bad year for Patrick Ewing and company. Um, but there's always something exciting to talk about in the area. I'm going to look to Saturday, VCU Richmond, the best local sports rivalry if you want to extend our net. Uh, all the way down to the capital city uh, in the Commonwealth. They play Saturday. Both are fighting for A-10 uh, relevance. Uh, that, that's going to be a game that I'm going to look forward to watching this Saturday, guys. Also, real quick on the Hoyas, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over mm. again. And um, and I say this with all respect due to John Thompson. His era was, what, 30, 40 years ago now? At this point, it's time to stop hiring guys who had ties to John Thompson and just find the person who's the best for the job. Again, I don't think Patrick Ewing is necessarily the problem uh, at Georgetown, but you know, if there's a better direction to go, you don't just go in the best direction that John Thompson directs you. You go in the best direction for the program moving forward and sort of moving on from that era. How about – Let's uh, go ahead. I was going to go give a shout out to the uh, let's give a shout out to the Sidwell friends girls basketball team. Number one, yes. in the you got it. Being, yep. being a team from Texas last weekend. That's a pretty yeah. cool story. Right. Yes, it is. Right. Very cool. Well, uh, we'll hear it for Sidwell friends. Rob brings us full circle as he was talking about. Don't go back to ties from 30 or 40 years ago. We started 30 or 40 years ago. They watched a football team. And, and Dave's 95th out- birthday. Hey, do you want? And you said your 95th birthday. So yeah. And my 95th yeah. birthday is coming up. So please uh, send me some new false teeth. Anyway, uh, Rob Woodfork, a wonderful gallery on the Washington football team. Yeah. You're going to want to check that out. All the videos, some some audio there, uh, a much younger Dave Johnson recap of the season with a legendary WTOP anchor, Jamie Bragg, who was so special to our station. And, and I remember that morning so well in January of 19. And how about Dave still sounding the same as he did in 1991? I mean, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. why is his audio so bad? Oh, wait a minute. This is from 1991. And yeah. Deborah Feinstein, our colleague sounded yeah. so, oh, oh yeah. man, it, it, it was, it was a different, it was a different time back then. I mean, it was, yeah. uh, it was a different format almost. We were news radio 15. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. All <laughs> right. There, there, there'll be a history test next week. Thank you for joining us on the DC Sports Channel, sponsored by MGM National Harbor. It's time to change the game at Bet MGM Sports. For Rob, Rob Woodfork, Dave Preston, George Wallace, I'm Dave Johnson. Thanks for going down memory lane with us and being part of the DC Sports Channel. Break. Break. <laughs>